Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. Before we start the show today, again, I want to remind you that there's a website called wealthformula.com. That's where you want to go if you want uh, some additional resources that are available to you specific to uh, the Wealth Formula content all sorts of different kinds of webinars and downloads, free books, that kind of thing. It's also where you go if you want to sign up for our Accredited Investor Club or Wealth Formula Network, which is our insider online community, which you will learn a little bit more about through the podcast today. Anyway, in the last few episodes of Wealth Formula Podcast, as you know, if you have been listening, and I'm sure you have, we've had a lot of serious specialists uh, in the areas of real estate. There was Dave Steele and Natural Resources with Marin Katusa. Pretty incredible stuff. I think you'll agree. But, you know, and these shows are really important, these ones that uh, feature guys like that, because you as an investor need to know what's going on out there so you can make an educated decision or make educated decisions rather about where to deploy your capital or what to do with your personal finances, stuff like that. Solid information from experts is important and that's why we do these kinds of interviews. But the actual implementation of personal financial strategies is, well, it's kind of daunting for individual investors, especially in the alternative space, right? And what I mean by alternative is real assets. And when we talk about real estate investing and that kind of thing, also making decisions for yourself with regard to things like asset protection and, and estate planning. You know, if you follow the f conventional financial path to investing, uh, well, that part, well, it can be really quite easy. You know, you, it's simple. You just keep you know, working hard at your job and then dumping your hard-earned money into stocks, bonds, and mutual funds and help your financial advisor uh, retire comfortably, which is probably not your goal. However, easy, easy does not mean wise, and I personally do not believe in that kind of approach to personal finance. You see, blind faith in conventional financial wisdom can be hazardous to your financial health and downright catastrophic when it comes to your retirement plans. And that's what one thing that I'm frankly very concerned about for people who are, are continuing down that path. Now, one thing I will say that in my 47 years of life, I have come to realize that nothing worth doing is ever easy. That's just a fact. You know, and taking charge of your own finances requires some work. There's no doubt about that. But the good news is that if you are a listener of Wealth Formula Podcast, which if you're listening to this, you are, you probably already have a high-paying professional job that requires a lot more brain power than it does to get your personal finances in order. Yes, managing your own money takes work, but it's actually not that difficult. In fact, the hardest part really is overcoming the fear of making the wrong decisions. And that said, letting someone else make those decisions for you doesn't guarantee success either. It just gives you the illusion that you're being safe. The reality, though, is that if you are managing your own money, at least you know for sure that the decisions you make 
are in your own interest, not in the interest of somebody else and their finances. And they're the decisions that you made, you know, knowing what you know, learning what you learned and making decisions that you think they're best for you. So how do you become confident about making these kinds of personal financial decisions? Well, for one thing, uh, it does take a little bit of time. You know, there's no doubt about it. It took me a fair amount of time to feel confident as I do today. Uh, It didn't happen overnight. The only way I know how to speed up that process is by learning from others who are kind of, you know, of the same mindset. And it's not just the good stuff you need to learn, like, you know, what to invest in or who's a good operator, that kind of stuff. You know, it's also the mistakes. And it's true that the best way to learn is through mistakes. However, they don't need to be your mistakes. And that is critical. Learning through your peers is really downright priceless because you can hear about the mistakes that people make as well as the good things and really proceed with caution based on that. So that's why the next few episodes of Wealth Formula Podcast are going to feature interviews with real investors just like you. And so this week, I interview a guy who worked for Boeing for three decades, went through a divorce before his personal financial journey really took off. Now, that's real stuff, right? I mean, that is, that sounds like, you know, any, it could be anybody. Really, it's not, doesn't have to be some fancy financial wizard in the real estate space or some kind of natural resources guru. So, If you're curious about the financial journeys of others, you will want to hear this interview with Chris Odegaard this week, which we will have when we come back right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility, It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is one of us. His name is Chris Odegaard. Chris is a member of, uh, you know, pretty much everything Wealth Formula. He's an investor in our credit investor group. He's also uh, part of Wealth Formula Network, and he has his own financial blog, or, you know, he's got all sorts of good stuff on there called theprolificinvestor.net. Chris, welcome to Wealth Formula Podcast. You're on the other side now. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. This is a real honor. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's great. You know, the idea for these shows uh, that are coming up in the next few weeks are that, you know, there was a, um, you know, Chris is part of Wealth Formula Network, and I had posted in there, trying to figure out what people are interested in learning more about or if there was people that uh, they'd heard on other podcasts that they found particularly interesting. And one thing that happened in that um, Facebook page was that it, there was a consensus. A number of people asked to hear from others within our community to find out like what their journey was just because, you know, so often uh, we're just focusing on, you know, guys like, last week, Marin Katusa, you know, or, or Dave Steele and the guys that we're, we're looking at who are the guys putting together deals. And this is an opportunity for us to kind of understand, you know, like a little bit about each other. So Chris, why don't you start out kind of, you know, take us back, take us back, uh, I don't know, 
10, 15, 20 years, however many <laughs> yeah, years. Right. What, what age, did you, a long way. Yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, t- tell us about where you started and maybe with a little focus uh, on your, you know, financial, you know, your personal finance journey. Sure. Well, you know, today, as you mentioned, I'm the prolific investor, but I I wasn't always that guy. You know, I grew up in a middle class family in the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio, and, uh, you know, learned exactly what my parents knew was, you know, go to college, get education, get hired on with a company that has benefits and a pension and invest your money in a diversified portfolio of stocks, bonds and mutual funds. And what they didn't say was that that'll put you on this very slow path to mediocrity, right? Yeah. Where someday, way down in the future, way past when anybody should be working, you might actually be able to retire. So that's that's what they knew, and that's what I knew. And I did get a, you know, go to college and got a job. And, uh, and what was, I was your work? Path. What was your career? Um, I went to Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University down in Daytona Beach, Florida, and uh, I'm an aviation guy. And so I started off as a mechanic and avionics technician, and I actually started off at the Kennedy Space Center in the 80s when the space shuttle was first going off. So I got to see a lot of cool stuff being down there. Uh And um, But I'd spent, you know, four years learning about aviation and aerospace, not rockets, and so I got an opportunity to interview at Boeing out in Seattle. And so I moved out there and, and worked there for the next 33 and a half years and um, uh, did all kinds of things, traveled to over 30 countries. And uh, at the height of my career, I was the director of contracts and I was on the selling team selling airplanes. And so uh, that's uh, kind of where my love of business was born, uh, you know, when you're uh, negotiating the sale and all the terms and conditions of a, you know, a hundred or $200 million airplane. It's pretty interesting. And that's kind of yeah. where my, where my business, my love of business was born. And that, that big business now shrink down today. A lot of what I learned in that job, you know, helps me with what I do now. Cause I actually like the details and reading contracts and the fine print. So, so what uh, do you do now? Well, now, um, well, I'll back up, back up just a little bit when I was talking about the path and then in, uh, in 2009, I had what I fondly refer to as an illiquidity event, where I lost 55% of my assets and thousands of dollars uh, in cash flow and something called a divorce. And so oh. my mediocre path to uh, retirement someday just got really, really bad. And um, coincidentally, around that time, a friend had recommended a book to me. No surprise here. I bought the book. It's a purple book, I bet. The purple book. I put it on the shelf, and it sat there for longer than I care to admit. And uh, I was on a business trip, and I was flying. I thought, I'm going to finish this book. And I did. And that kind of just lit a fire in me like it has in a lot of other people. And I moved completely out of conventional, you know, investments into alternatives. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, single family rentals, small multifamily, Mm -hmm. performing and non-performing notes. And uh, and actually my first uh, introduction to syndication was was through, uh, you know, a number of different uh, note funds. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I kind of realized, wow, you know, I could actually, you know, get my hands out of the details and just be the, the money guy and get all the benefits and frankly, you know, make as much as I was making before without having to do, uh, to do any work. So, uh, right. I left, uh, I left Boeing at the end of 2018, started my blog and I thought, man, if I could help, if I could help somebody else get off of the, the highway of conventional investing into something else or even better, help some young person never even get on that highway to begin with. Yeah. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. So that's kind of what I'm doing so, now. So you're full-time, you're full-time blogger. Well, it doesn't take all of my time, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my passion. Yeah. Uh, I do a, I do a, a very active investor, as you know, and then I, uh, I do my blogging and I have a book coming out this fall called get off your ass and manage your uh, money. Why you need alternative investments. And um, I compare conventional investments and alternatives across thir- 13 different categories and alternatives win in 11 of the 13. So, you know, I go, well, why would anybody go down this, this other path? And yeah, mostly because sure. they don't know any better. Well, let me ask you this, because again, you know, if I'm listening to this as, you know, somebody in the audience, uh, I'm thinking, well, that's great, Chris, but where did you get all the capital to quickly replace your your income at Boeing uh, and become a full-time investor? Because that is certainly one of the challenges that I think 
um, a lot of people have, frankly. I mean, you if you if you don't have a lot of cash flow coming in, even if you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars per year, a million dollars a year, it takes some time to you know pivot and then ultimately kind of live off your investment. So how did you do that? Well, it took me there. So I had a couple of things. Um, you know, I did work for a company for a lot of years that had a pension. So I had, I had that. And um, back when um, I had the problem that uh, a lot of conventional investors and E-quadrant guys had, you know, I had money, but it was locked up in a 401k. Mm-hmm. And I was part of, matter of fact, right about the time that uh, I connected with you, I was part of another uh, investing group. And, and the, the guy said to me, he said, hey, Chris, can you do an in-service transfer? And I said, well, what's an in-service transfer? And he said, well, that's where your company will let you take, you know, some or all of your money out of your 401k and transfer it to another custodian while you're still working for the company. And I kind of, I'm sure I rolled my eyes and laughed a little bit because I'd been working at the Boeing company for decades and I had never heard this before. So sure. I kind of set it aside for a little bit. And then, and then I, for some reason I was reminded of it and I asked the question and sure enough, the company allowed me to transfer out all of the matching that they had done over the years and so I was able to get that out of the stock market and get it into alternative investments. Got it. And, you know, just pulling every lever that I could, you know, using debt, uh, getting higher rates of return, getting smarter with taxes, you know, all the stuff that we talk about in your group all the time, just, you know, using as many of those tools as I could to, you know, to supercharge what I was doing. Yeah. So you had you had three decades of retirement funds to work with. It wasn't like it was overnight and you had a switch. So, so that's well, cer- less, fi- less 55%, <laughs> less 55%. So you were, <laughs> looks like you, yeah, you got the short end of the stick on that one. Uh, but, but then, you know, one of the things that happens, uh, it sounds like at least since 2009 is that you probably turbocharge your investment. So talk a little bit about, you know, what did you notice in terms of growth of your portfolio? What was it before? What was it after? What, you know, how, how did that? Work? Well, it was almost, um, you know, it wasn't very sophisticated, you know, back in 2009 when I had the illiquidity event. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as I was doing all the investing and tax savings and using leverage and all those things, and I got, uh, you know, about nine years had passed and I was ready to, uh, I don't like to use a retirement word anymore. I like to use fire the man because retirement's kind of like take out of service. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm certainly not out of service. And I started, uh, you know, writing this blog and I thought, well, what, you know, what credibility do I have, you know, to do this? You know, in 2018, I had, I had a balance sheet and I knew what my net worth was. And I thought, but wow, it's too bad. I didn't have all that information back in 2009. Um, and then a light bulb went off and I went, you know, what the attorneys make you do when you get divorced, they make you, they make you create a balance sheet. So yeah. I did have one. And so I was able to go back and, you know, between 2009 and 2018, my, you know, net worth increased by 5.6 times. And, uh, you know, I know, uh, I don't know if you, you, you ever heard of a guy named George Antone who does a lot of financial training? I, I heard um, about him. Yeah. I've yeah. heard of anyway, him. if I was sitting here with George, he would go, is that all you did in 10 years? <laughs> 5.6 times. Yeah. But anyway, it, it, uh, uh, some people never recover from stuff like that. So anyway, I was relatively pleased with the number and said, okay, I, I actually did something here and maybe I could teach others a few things. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Uh, when did you find wealth formula and how? I, um, you know, part of the, part of the journey was, um, alternative education, which was in the form of podcasts. And I can remember I had partnered up with a, a real estate guy through the local RIA kind of early on. And he said, you should listen to the real estate guys podcast. Mm-hmm. And my first question was, what's a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and the second yeah. question was, who are the real estate guys? And yeah. so anyway, so, uh, you know, I, I, you know, downloaded whatever app I was using and started listening to them. And that led to one thing and it led to another. And some guy named Buck kept, you know, his name kept coming up every once in a while. And I finally went, okay, I got to find this guy named Buck. And so sure enough, I found your podcast and, uh, and, you know, it has been, uh, you know, your group and the podcast has probably been, uh, you know, the most valuable thing that I've come across, you know, 
this whole time. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's very nice of you to say. I'm curious though. Tell me, tell me the things that, and I'm not, I'm not asking you this so much for, you know, to get a pat on the back, but as much, uh, tr- you know, especially maybe you just people started just listening or something like that. Tell us about, about some of the, you know, revelations or some of the big changes that you got specifically from wealth formula and the things that we're talking about here. Like what, if, if you, if you were trying to describe the podcast and the types of things that you learned and to re, uh, you know, how, how it's changed your life, what are those types of things? What are, what are some of the more impactful lessons? I would say one of the biggest one is taxes. You know, the average, you know, e-quadrant person has got about, when you add all the different sources of taxes and government fees together, it's probably spent about 50% Mm -hmm. going, going to the government. And, every dollar you don't spend in taxes is a dollar that stays in your pocket. And it's kind of unbelievable, but taxes are really the low hanging fruit. That is the easy, you know, it's, it's, it's easier to increase your investment, you know, from 10 to 20%, you know, through reducing taxes than it is through, you know, doing a better investment or taking on more risk. And so the, uh, entity structures, which provide both tax benefits as well as asset protection. That's, that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And, um, and, and uh, the, uh, the life insurance, the yeah. cash value life insurance has been a game changer. And, uh, you know, I think that that should be, well, well let's uh, back up know, first. So the first thing is the first lesson is it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, really believe that there is ways to legally mitigate taxes, but the, mm-hmm. uh, what you find, and I think you're right, it's a big, <laughs> you know, I'm not a CPA, but I find out that's probably the most, uh, most common phrase I have in this show is I'm not a CPA, but, um, and, it, but this is really a big, big lesson, I think. And I think, uh, people who are really sticking to, you know, some of these lessons and trying to implement them are noticing huge differences. So you can make, you know, if you're making, would you rather make a million dollars a year and pay 50% of it in taxes? Or would you rather make, you know, $600,000 a year and pay nothing? Mm -hmm. That's really what it comes down to, right? How difficult though, is it, was it in practice to implement some of those things? Because, you know, you're not, it sounds like a significant portion of your net worth was, well, it was uh, retirement funds and pensions and stuff like that. The pensions, ordinary income and that kind of thing. Is that right? And, and, and so how, how did that, how how difficult was it to implement some of those lessons on the taxes? Um, I I guess I would say it's, it's work, it's study because it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know, you find it, you don't, here's my experience is you don't find a good CPA and he lays out all these strategies for you. The way it works for me is I participate in groups like yours, Mm -hmm. listen to the Tom Wheelwright, read his books and you go, Oh, if I do things somewhere along these lines, I can make some changes. And then it's the, then it's the CPA to kind of validate and help help you implement those things and get your structure. So, uh, you know, it's like everything in alternatives. It takes it takes more work than conventional stuff. You got to get smart and you got to learn. But it's not, you know, it's not impossible. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not a CPA. I don't have an army of CPAs. I have one, and uh, you know, it's interesting that you know Robert Kiyosaki talks about it all the time that he doesn't pay any taxes and and you know. I hear that and internalize and I go, well, yeah, I'm definitely going to minimize my taxes. And uh, you might remember this from a comment I put on the Facebook site in 2019, I paid zero federal income taxes, you know, Trump paid 750. So I said, you know, he's kind of an underachiever, you know? Yeah, that's right. That's (laughs) right. You know, uh, you know, so, I mean, if, uh, you know, kind of an average guy like me can do it, you know, anybody can do it. If you want to put in the time and, and you got to, have some help from, you know, people that are specialists. Yeah. And I think one of the things, one of the lessons I think is really important in what you said is that we, you know, we talk a lot about uh, a lot about these things on the show, but um, a lot of CPAs don't even have a clue, right. About some of the things that we're talking about. And so mm-hmm. that's okay. I mean, it's like, you know, CPAs, you know, Tom Wheelwright, who is Robert Kiyosaki's CPA. He also happens to be mine. 
um, will say that, you know, CPAs are no different from doctors in that. You know, I used to, uh, you know, I, I was a head and neck surgeon and I had neurosurgery training, all that stuff. Uh, you know, I wasn't a dermatologist, right? And if you start asking me about like skin issues or whatever, I, I wouldn't know. So CPAs are sort of similar that way. And, you know, also some CPAs are much better than others and some are, um, would rather just collect checks and not put in the work, uh, and others are going to actually, um, work for you. But a key element that I think that's important of what you said is, is that, it's, it's a little bit of work. It is a little bit of work, for sure. And that is part of the ethos of personal finance, the way it really ought to be done. We have so many smart, smart people in this group who are doing extraordinary things with their careers. But when it comes to you know personal finance, uh, they have tremendous potential that they have not untapped. And financially, right. that might be some of the, the most rewarding and easiest things to implement. So I find myself today, believe it or not, I have concepts that I bring to Tom Wheelwright, who um, mm-hmm. who says, "Well, gosh, that's a good idea. Let me think about it." Right? right. Yeah. Uh, so you want to be interactive when it comes to personal finance. You do not want to be passive. If you yeah. sit there and let anybody, no matter how good they are, they don't know your finances as well as you do, and. Mm-hmm. So ideas that you have uh, are not necessarily going to come to their mind. So that is critical. Have you found that to be the case? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that we, you know, we, you know, as negative as the world is today, we still hold certain professions in kind of high esteem, you know, doctors and lawyers and CPAs and not to, like you said, not to disparage any of them, but there are good ones and bad ones, just like there's good car mechanics and bad car mechanics. And I mean, I went through, I've been through four CPAs in the last decade and three and three different CPA firms, um, frankly, because they couldn't do, they couldn't solve some of the problems that I were pretty, I was pretty sure were solvable from, you know, being part of your group and, and following Tom Wheelwright. And so I just had to, had to move on. Yeah. By the way, anybody who's, uh, interested, uh, wealthability.com, that's where you would, uh, go, um, to find like, I think a competent Tom Wheelwright, uh, you know, influence CPA. And I highly encourage people to do that. There's always a little bit of, uh, people have a little bit of anxiety about that because it's a little bit more expensive. I mean, especially on the front end, um, to, to do that, but these things end up making you keep so much more of your money. It's probably the highest return on investment that you're going to get is finding a very, very good CPA. And that's, that's even for people who right now, are sitting there in the, you know, W-2, uh, as you call it, the employment quadrant, the E-quadrant, uh, just because that's where you are today and that's what you do doesn't mean that's where you have to be five years from now. I mean, gosh, there's guys in our group uh, who have who've really, really uh, ramped up their, you know, their investor quadrant uh, funds and, you know, guys like Ian, there's poster boys for this who've just really, really done significant work um, and really tried hard. And it is very doable. And frankly, it can be kind of fun, right? It's like a little bit of a puzzle. Uh, but yeah, so definitely CPA is a huge one. Um, the next question, so you were talking about um, another uh, thing that you thought was big and and I did too. And it is uh, something you referred to is is uh, cash flow banking. Of course, we we call it wealth formula banking just for just because we like to take a, we like to brand everything <laughs> in what we do. But how did you discover it? What was your aha moment, and how are you using it? Well, it came. You know, I think you probably had Rod or Christian on your show, and yep. uh, they started talking about the two different policies: the the whole life based and the IUL based. And it's just one of those. It's, it's one of the handful of things that have, you know, come, come my way, you know, on this journey where you go, oh my gosh, that sounds too good to be true. Uh-huh. And if I had run away from everything that sounded too good to be true, I would have left so much money on the table. Um, so, you know, I'm a guy who kind of, you know, does a little bit of thinking and then acts pretty quickly. So as soon as I heard that, you know, I got on the phone with 
with Rod and Christian and, and, and the whole life policy was the one that worked for me. Cause uh, you know, being 59 years old, I'm not looking for, I don't need a 15 year time horizon in front of me, but uh, I, I look at it as a giant uh, line of credit. Mm-hmm. So all, all, all my income that comes in from the various sources that's above, you know, my expenses gets plowed into, you know, a couple of those insurance policies where it makes, you know, five plus percent tax free, creditor protected. And then when, you know, when the next Western wealth deal comes along or whatever it is, I just start borrowing it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just one big circle. And I, you know, I just moved from uh, the Seattle area to South Carolina. So I had a, a, a liquidity event with the sale of a couple properties in there. Guess where all that money went? Mm-hmm. It, it first topped up those life insurance policies. And then I was kind of like fully tapped out. It's like, okay, well, let's pay down all the existing debt that I can with that money until it's time to pull it out again for the next investment. So it's just uh well, it's I think for people who don't uh, really understand what Chris is talking about, I encourage you to go to wealthformulabanking.com. There's some good webinars on there. But I think the the benefit of it, um, maybe you can talk to this, is that it's more than just a line of credit, right? I mean, you're you're it's a line of credit that basically keeps paying you even though you've borrowed, right? Right. So effectively, you are putting money into something uh and it's growing at a compounding rate at 5%, five plus percent, like you said, when that in itself doesn't sound that impressive necessarily, although frankly, for something that's that stable, it's pretty darn good. Uh, but then when you're borrowing it, you're borrowing it at a, not a compound rate, but you're borrowing it at a simple interest rate. And right now, the the simple interest rate, whether that is from the general ledger of the insurance company or from one of these, you know, lending institutions that we've been talking about in Wealth Formula Network, might be, you know, three and a half percent, right? And all of a sudden, you're borrowing at three and a half percent, and it's but it's simple interest. So not only do you have the arbitrage of the actual number on the interest, but you have an arbitrage between compounding and simple interest. So it's it takes a while to get your wrap your head around it. But And you're not you're not borrowing you're not borrowing your cash value. Right. You're borrowing an insurance company's money using your cash value as the collateral. As collateral. So exactly, you know. exactly. And um, so that is that's power. How have you used that? So you've been using it for investments. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what have you noticed in terms of um, I mean, have you seen some of these numbers? I mean, obviously seeing is believing. So I'm curious what right. you've seen. Well, I'm still, uh, you know, I had that time period from 2009 to 2018 where I could c- compare. And I haven't really done that kind of, you know, how many X comparisons since mm-hmm. 2018 to 2021. And I made my first Western wealth uh, investment. So only three years ago in 2018, I've only been through right. one, cycle, you know, one sale and no yeah, liquidation. Yeah. So I, you know, I feel like there's kind of a hockey stick thing coming between yeah. but those those things getting refinanced and selling along with, you know, mm-hmm. I call it the supercharging. But so it's still a little bit early yep. for me on that, that How about, horizon. I know you were doing notes. Uh, yeah. Are you using that for notes at all? No, I was I was really enamored with notes in the beginning, you know, the whole uh, benefits of real estate without, you know, toilets, tenants and all that kind of stuff. And notes were, they were hard. They were so much harder than a rental property. They are so much harder. (laughs) They're so much harder. This is is hilarious uh, that you say that because, you know, a couple years back, and and a number number of people know know exactly what I'm talking about. George Newberry, who I'm a big fan of George, and and he's such a smart guy. Um, he kept telling me, Hey, this this is really easy. It's not that hard. (laughs) Right. And, um, so I said, okay, George, put on this event and teach us how to do notes. And we went to this event and uh, there was a number of wealth formula people there. And, uh, I think we were all so freaking confused and it was like, this is not easy, George. This is not easy at all. And in fact, if you see, uh, the trajectory of AHP, when George, uh, when George stopped sort of being the guy, the money guy, they kind of didn't perform quite as well as nope. as when he when he did, and he brought in some real, you know, professional from a large institution who spent her life doing this stuff. Well, George comes back in, and everything, you know, 
and he's staying there by the way because i'm like there's no way you're leaving that spot ever again um and 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 all of a sudden it's magic again but it, that is a difficult business now the other thing about notes uh is there's no tax advantage that's right right that's right so you're losing. So yeah, okay, maybe you're making ten percent, but now it's ordinary income at ten percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe passive, but it's still ordinary. Um, and boom, all of a sudden, you know, you're losing a big chunk of that in federal and state taxes. So that's. Uh, I'm guessing that was one of the reasons too. It's uh, yeah, it's 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 so highly regulated, and it's funny because you know my biggest complaint about the notes business is the servicers all sucked. And so what's George done? He's created his own servicing yep. company. So HB I think he servicing. saw yeah. the same problem. You know, there was a, a little bit of a story around that. I was listening to the real estate guys podcast, and this is this has stuck with me forever. They said, you know, you know, every year or so, you should take a look at all the assets that you own and ask yourself this question: Knowing what I know now, would I rebuy those? assets and the answer was hands down no and so it took a couple years but i you liquidated a whole bunch of stuff and and um you know now i'm the syndication guy i love syndications and you get all the benefits with none of the hassle and the returns are just fantastic and the taxes and the leverage and so right that's uh so you know there's the uh one of the things i know that i i remember you resonating with in one of our uh in one of our uh uh meetings was my emphasis on the fact that boring is good <laughs> right and yep. that you 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 know we have our journeys and i had it too where you know you start looking at things and you're like well wow, that sounds interesting it's in a different country it's a different asset and all this stuff but you pretty quickly learn that you know what um keep it simple keep it boring and right. that's how you're going to make money did you go through something like that too? Oh yeah, and and you might remember that I did a little bit of private equity and uh, where I put some money into some startups and and it's funny when I look at you know if you go back to Tom Wheelwright the four asset class you know you got paper and you got real assets and commodities and uh, whatever the other one is I look at I look at all I look at things in those four quadrants and I go which ones are having problem. It's the paper ones that are having problems, Mm -hmm. you know, it's none of the real stuff. Yeah. So uh, anyway. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about, you know, your experience. You joined Wealth Formula Network. So Wealth Formula Network is our, you know, is our private group. Um, It is. How would you describe Wealth Formula Network? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a... You know, they say that, uh, you know, you become what you think about and you, you're the average of the, your income is about the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And if yeah. you're, you're, you know, uh, hanging out with your, uh, some of your not so successful buddies, you know, drinking three cases of beer every Friday night, you're not really, you're not really raising it up. And, uh, and it doesn't, uh, it, it's just a community of people that are really serious about, uh, investing and moving forward in financial freedom. And, you know, we're using every, at least we, we're, we're getting educated about every, every lever that we can pull, you know, from using leverage taxes, the entity structures, the cash value life insurance. And that's, you know, we live and breathe that stuff. And uh, it just, it, and things, the landscape's always changing, you know? Yep. Uh, so there's, uh, what was working, you know, uh, conservation easements, you know, what was working one day, you maybe it's not working as well now. And maybe there's some legislation on the horizon and, you know, cryptocurrency. I mean, things are constantly evolving. So if you want to stay on top of that, you know, stay on the crest of the wave in terms of your investing, you need to be part of a group that's really, uh, you know, doing this kind of stuff. Yeah. Whether you're in Wealth Formula Network or not, and uh, for those who are interested in Wealth Formula Network, you go to uh, wealthformularoadmap.com and it's basically a course. And then there's this, you know, ongoing uh, discussion bi weekly Zoom calls. And also, um, you know, we have our Facebook group. But, you know, whether you join our group or any other group, whatever, I think if you're interested in personal finance, it is really, really, I think, useful to have a, you know, a a group of people that you connect with on a regular basis. Um, Particularly if they're your peers, right? They're people who are kind of like you and in similar situations. Um, Or they're people who may be where you 
kind of wish you were or where you'd okay. like to be. Because, um, you know, your, your point about, uh, you know, the idea of, of people going, people becoming sort of the average of the five people they spend the most time with is, is very true. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'll just tell you from my own perspective, even going from, uh, you know, I, I, I lived in uh, a Chicago suburb where there was, you know, there was affluence, but nowhere near the affluence that's around me here in Montecito. I mean, this is insane, right? It's like, um, and, and just having that perspective of, you know, your, where's your thermostat at, right? I always call it the wealth thermostat. What, Mm -hmm. where are you? And if you're around a bunch of people who make 50 grand a year and you happen to be the guy who's making a hundred, you're feeling pretty good. And Hey, that's okay if you're feeling good there, but you know, chances are you're going to just stay there, uh, Mm -hmm. unless you surround yourself with people who are doing bigger, better things. And pretty soon your brain starts kind of by osmosis, uh, becoming one of those people. And, uh, and I think that that's a, that, that's a big part of it. The other thing that's really great about having a community like that is that, you know, they're, you know, the five people that you spend uh, time with in real life might be your, you know, your wife and kids and, or your neighbors and they have zero interest in talking about personal finance. And if you want to learn about personal finance, you really need to be around people who are really into it. And um, I'm always just totally blown away by some of the, the level of conversation uh, in these meetings because it's, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff I don't know about uh, that other people bring up. And so it's been a real uh, opportunity to learn from one another. So again, if you're interested in Wealth Formula Network, great. Uh, but if you if you have your own uh, group of people, I highly encourage you to get together with them and on a regular basis, you know, talk about these issues and find some people who make more money than you. That'll help you even more. <laughs> totally. <laughs> hey, hey, Buck, you, uh, the question you'd asked me earlier about what were some of the big things that I learned and um, one of them that just came to mind when you were talking a little while ago was you know, just because it was the fact that, you know, a lot of us are, are making money in the E quadrant, you know, yeah. we're W2 people, but that doesn't mean that you have to invest in the E quadrant, you know, shifting, shifting your income from yep. E quadrant to the I quadrant. And so, cause I've always said, look, I'm, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I'm an, I'm an investor, but my business is investing. Chris Odegaard doesn't invest in anything. Right. One of my entities does the investing. And now you've, shifted over and now you're getting the the asset protection and the and the tax and the tax benefits if i go i go apple boeing and campbell soup and all i did was say let's not invest personally anymore let's invest as a business and so you start shifting that over and that's a huge thing yeah that is a that is a really big thing and that's an important concept too because you know i am an entrepreneur but i you know i was born this way you know, uh, for better or for worse, for better or for worse. <laughs> and, and, you know, George Newberry and I have talked about this, uh, at great length entrepreneurs, you know, they have these crazy, it's, it's almost like people who are, you know, looking for like jumping out of planes or stuff like that, you know, uh, who, who are looking for that thrill and the way they keep score is by how much money they make. So it's really right. not always how much it's not always about money. It's about sort of creating things and seeing if it works uh, it's hard on the people around you sometimes because you take a lot of risks and that sort of thing. But the, 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 this is an, a very important concept that you're bringing up, which is if you go back to the Kiyosaki quadrant on the left side, there is the employee and the self-employed individual. Um, neither one of them have significant, uh, benefits to taxes, but on the other side of the quadrant, uh, we think about the business owner, which is the entrepreneur. Yes, that is a good way to do it. But the other one is the investor. And so the path of least resistance, no doubt for the vast majority of the listeners of this show who are making a lot of money, is not to go from uh, the employed person to the to the business owner. That is a completely different lifestyle. That's a completely, it's a huge jump with lots of risk. But to go from the, you know, to to take that money that's generated in the E-quadrant and to build 
passively the investor quadrant. That is, in my view, the path of least resistance and one that I think that you know just about anybody can do. It just takes a little right. bit of work. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. Go ahead. That, entre- that entrepreneur thing, Buck. You know, is, a, is probably a, a problem for you because it you want to get dragged out of the boring stuff and do other stuff. <laughs> it was a it was a problem. I have to tell you. And again, early on, uh, you know that 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 you know shiny object syndrome mm-hmm. is a it's a real thing. Um, but for me, I think you know uh, I had a couple of you know significant failures uh in the business side of like losing millions of dollars and that kind of thing and when that happened the what i realized was the things that kept me afloat uh were the things that were boring because i grew up in a real estate family and i never invested in stock market i just kept you know when i was making money as an entrepreneur early on i kept buying real estate and when, you know, my business activities went south, luckily my real estate was still there and, um, you know, uh, made made a lot of money and, and the rest is history. But yeah, it has been a little bit, it, you know, you sometimes maybe you get a little older, you get burned, you get a little bit of scar tissue uh, and you're a lot more careful. But you're also, uh, I think, able to read situations better with some failures, right? Um, as you know, in this podcast ecosystem, there's, you know, there's lots of opportunities, but there's also a lot of, you know, pitfalls. Uh, just because you get behind a mic as a podcaster doesn't necessarily mean you know what you're doing. But, um, but that's that that somehow um, lends credibility. So you have to be very very careful, not only as a podcaster, but also you know individuals who you're bringing onto your show or you're writing about in your case that you, you know, that, that you're, that you feel comfortable with them. So it, it, you do have to narrow it in. And the more you can narrow things in and make things more boring and systematic, uh, I found the more money you're going to make. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you said something one time about, uh, you know, um, how you, uh, decide on a syndicator and it's like, well, if it didn't come from somebody that I, if it wasn't recommended from somebody I know, like, and trust, they don't even get in the front door, you know, yeah. and that's a, that, that's a, that's a good policy. Well, cause they're, it's funny because again, in the evolution there is no, like, and trust is huge, right? Mm-hmm. But no, I like, and trust is not enough because you yeah. might know, like, and trust your brother-in-law, but your brother-in-law may not have a clue what he's doing. Even if he thinks he has a clue what he's doing. So it's no like and trust and also take a look at the track record because the track record does not lie. Um, you brought up Western Wealth Capital. Yeah, um, that came from a no like and trust person initially for me. And then ultimately, as a, beyond that, though, I mean, every webinar they do, you see every divestment, you you know, that they've ever had. So there's a track record there. So those those are some basic things that I think once to fundamentally you get those down. I mean, you know, the wealth formula, the math, and you know this now, even just, you know, leverage and mass and velocity and all these, it's not that difficult. And it, the the hard part is the people. The hard part is the people. The hard part is the team, the operations and all that. If you can get that down, which I think, um, you know, I'd like to think we've done a very good job of in, in our investor club. Uh, it becomes fairly systematic and, and not that uh, not that difficult anymore. But that's the hardest part. Well, I say that we don't. You don't really invest in assets. You invest in people, the team. You could you have two, two two apartment buildings identical, one on one side of the street and one on the other, and one would be wildly successful, and the other one would be running into ground. And the only difference was the people that were running it. So, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you, there's you, no you, doubt you're, you're picking the team. Yeah, I mean, you could take that same asset. That same asset that gets bought by one group and it makes investors like, you know, 30% annualized returns and then the other one's losing money on it or loses the property. So real estate is not, or these types, this type of investing is not like, you know, putting money in the stock market where you can buy Apple stock at Ameritrade, E-Trade or Schwab. You have to pick the right, you have to pick the right way to get in because it's a very personal thing. Um, well, good. Uh, anything else you'd like to uh, share with us before we, uh, we wrap it up here? 
Oh, just, just to follow up on that topic, you know, the scary thing is, you know, anybody that can put together 10 or $20,000 to hire a securities attorney can put together a private placement and, and a fund and go out and raise money. So uh, yep. just because somebody's done that, it doesn't, you got to watch out for those. Yeah, it's easy on a pro forma, Chris. I can sell you land, uh, swamp land in Florida, <laughs> make it look really profitable to you by making yeah. a big, shiny, glossy, uh, um, you know, executive summary, but. Right. Well, good. So, so Chris Odegaard, uh, theprolificinvestor.net. Chris, thanks so much for uh, sharing your experience uh, in, in uh, your journey with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Buck. It was a lot of fun. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris. Uh, it's good stuff. I mean, I think it's uh, it's kind of a nice change of pace for us to try to reach back into the community and find out what everybody's journey looks like. And we're going to have a couple more of those coming up in the coming weeks. So hopefully you're enjoying it. You're going to get different perspectives, different journeys, and hopefully something will really resonate with you and help, you know, change your confidence level or something like that. At any rate, um, the other thing I will just remind you of uh, is that, you know, Chris is part of our Wealth Formula Network. And if, you know, if that sounds like something that you're interested in, you should check it out. Go to wealthformularoadmap.com. That's where you sign up for it. Now, what exactly is Wealth Formula Network? Well, when you go to wealthformularoadmap.com, what you're going to find is there's going to be a cheesy, basically this sort of marketing video there telling you, um, you know, telling you to buy a course. And uh, I, I approved it, but I can't say I really like it. It was uh, done by, it was written by a, you know, one of these internet marketers. Anyway, look through that and understand that what this is, is first, it's a course. It's a course with some names that you know, like Tom Wheelwright and Kenny McElroy and and some of the others uh, that, that we like and trust out there already. Uh, but the thing that uh, became very clear after doing this course uh, for a while was that the thing that people really, really got the most benefit from was once they took the course and they applied that uh, to our biweekly conversations on Zoom video and our Facebook group, that's when things really took to the next level. So again, I'm going to take this opportunity to plug it uh, wealthformularoadmap.com. But that said, even if you don't join Wealth Formula Network, I do think, you know, finding your own group of people to run ideas by and that kind of thing is a great idea. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, Consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.